Today's presenting sponsor is Datadog. If your business is being driven by software, you know today's applications are more complex than ever. They're sitting on multiple layers of infrastructure and distributed services, and it can be very complicated to manage. Datadog brings visibility into every part of your infrastructure, as well as APM monitoring for your application's performance. Customizable dashboards, collaboration tools, and alerts let you develop your own workflow for observability and incident response. Datadog integrates seamlessly with all of your apps and systems, from Amazon Web Services to Kubernetes to MySQL, so you can get visibility in minutes. You want to get started now? Go to datadog.com slash cloudcast to get started with Datadog and get a free t-shirt. Datadog is trusted by thousands of enterprises, so if you haven't tried Datadog at your company or on your side project, go to datadog.com slash cloudcast to try it out and get a free t-shirt. And now, on with the show. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is The Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to The Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from, not the massive studios in Raleigh, but uh, sort of spread out tonight. Aaron, how are you tonight? Not too bad, not too bad. Yeah, I'm in the massive studios. Where in the heck are you this week? I am. Uh, I'm still on my on my Gene Kim Gene Kim road tour. So uh, tonight I'm in Dallas. Today and tomorrow I'm in Dallas, and then Los Angeles uh, in a couple of days, and then uh, I finally get to come home and sleep in my bed for I think maybe the third time in the last month or so. <laughs> yeah, I've been having not one fun. of those. Not trips. fun. So here's my one beef. Here's my one beef, or my my question for you before we get into this. So, uh, so I'm in Dallas. Uh, you know, I'm kind of a barbecue um, nut or nerd or whatever. And Dallas has pretty good barbecue. Um, I don't know if it's as good as Austin barbecue, but here's my dilemma, or it was my dilemma today. So the good barbecue in in Dallas, or I mean, like I don't know where I am. I'm a little north of Dallas. Is like a 40 minute cab ride from here because I don't have a car. So here's my question. Do you, so you know you're going to spend like 20 or 30 bucks at the barbecue place just for lunch or whatever. Do you then, like, is it, is it worthwhile to spend another like 80 bucks in cab rides? I mean, I know sometimes people can expense it, but like, that's a little nuts, right? Yeah, that, that's pretty diehard. That's, that's a hundred dollar lunch just for you. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> so I had, I had to pass on that. I, uh, I, and I, and I'm sort of mad at Dallas for that because I, I can walk to everywhere in Austin. So Austin still gets my vote for the better barbecue. There you go. That's right. That's right. So everyone remember, it's Brian at thecloudcast.net. Um. <laughs> That's right. So enough, enough of the barbecue cast. Uh, let's get, let's get on to uh, today's show. Um, so you and I talk about AWS all the time. Um, we're, you know, we're still studying some stuff, but we don't dig into it every day like, we, like maybe we should. Um, but our guest tonight does. And so very excited to have Corey Quinn on the show tonight. Corey, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. So amongst, uh, amongst the folks that we know, um, everybody was always telling us, look, if you guys want to go dig into, into AWS, get Corey on the show. Um, not only does he sort of live and breathe what's going on in AWS in terms of understanding how it works and digging into it, but he makes it fun. So give us a little bit of your background and then tell us a little bit about this, uh, this behemoth of last week in AWS that you've started. Sure. I have a history of being a sysadmin slash operations engineer going back almost 15 years now. And like most people who are confronted with something new in that space, my immediate response is, this is terrible. AWS, the cloud, it's never going to be a thing. It's like a complicated version of a VPS. And you keep seeing it and you keep seeing it. And then you give it a try and realize, oh, wow, this actually works. 
wow, some of those edges are kind of pointy. And over time, you develop a love-hate, uh, almost a Stockholm Syndrome style of relationship with the provider. And invariably, it got to a place where I was in various shops as a consultant, talking to other people, looking around for who's the subject matter expert on all things Amazon. And increasingly, I was the last one standing when everyone else had a chair. So it turned into a scenario where I more or less had to fake it until I made it. And if I ever make it, you'll be the first to know. But these days, people tend to give me a little bit of credence to the things I say about Amazon. And so far, I'm willing to let them. Very good. So in terms of, in terms of your background, though, uh, give us a sense of, you know, talking about technology is one thing. Where do your chops come from? Where do your technology experiences come from? Uh, fair question. I wound up doing a fair bit of consulting work uh, in and out of various Fortune 500s, looking at various uh, challenges that they had in their space. And whenever I get tired of dealing with large regulated companies, I sort of go to the opposite end of the spectrum and go diving into startup space. And one of the things that kept arising was the concept of working in an environment that isn't right in front of you. The longer I did this, the fewer hours I spent in the blustery north of the data center. It turned very quickly into a world where suddenly you're talking with everything that matters via APIs. So I went back and forth on a number of different areas that I was consulting in. I was focused for a while on doing configuration management, but I spent the past year working independently on solving exactly one problem. The AWS bill is horrifying, which is a small problem experienced by approximately everyone. And when I say horrifying, that that manifests in two ways. The first is, is that a phone number or a monthly bill? And the other somewhat more subtle approach to it was, okay, so I owe $400,000 this month to Amazon. Okay, what's it for? And the way that the bill breaks down by storage or compute is terrific and absolutely unhelpful when someone in finance is asking that question. So helping to instrument various AWS environments with an eye towards a costing model, towards being able to do a breakdown and cost projections for what growth would look like from an infrastructure spend perspective has really been where I've been spending most of the past year. Uh, it, I look an awful lot like an accountant these days. It makes sense. And, and so Corey, tell everyone a little bit about your newsletter as well before we start digging into the technologies that will help kind of frame out the conversation. Absolutely. In fact, it's a direct shot from where we left off. I found that when my own Amazon bill was about eh, 78 cents a month, I couldn't get AWS to respond to my support tickets, let alone actually having a substantive conversation about their roadmap and how things were going to progress. So I figured, well, I may as well be able to start maybe going at this from a different angle. So I figured I'd start a newsletter that rounded up all of the news I could track down on a weekly basis for anything that touched AWS. And to keep myself interested, I figured I'd also make fun of it in the same breath. And that took off in a way I wasn't quite expecting. It, it started off as a simultaneous effort between I want to know what's coming and build relationships with people at Amazon, but it also filled the need that I had of you're seeing 60 things a week coming out that touch on AWS, and there's no filter for it. The announcement of something transformative, like AWS Lambda Functions, was given the same breathless enthusiasm in the announcement as a second CloudFront Edge location in Dallas. 
People in Dallas don't care about that, <laughs> let alone the larger world. So being able to filter through the this is important versus this can safely be ignored uh, noise was great. The problem is I couldn't find it. So I figured I would start a newsletter. With a little luck, I'd have a couple of people who weren't blood relatives reading it and giving feedback. And I just hit 2,000 subscribers. So apparently this is, it's caught on in some strange circles. Some people who work at Amazon have uh, been very helpful as far as providing content. It tends to be cited in a number of other areas as well. And it's sort of strange in that I feel like I've got a tiger by the tail here. I never had a plan for it to succeed nearly as well as it had. So now I have to be a little bit more committed to it. I had to build infrastructure around it. I have a series of hilariously awful Lambda functions that help build parts of it. It, it really has become a comedy of errors, but it's entertaining. Well, and it, what's really interesting about it is, yeah, you, you took a very unique spin on, yeah, you, let's be really honest, AWS is really strange in the way that they're approaching all of this at times because, um, you know, it's a traditional IT background, but at the same time, yeah, they just, they tend to just throw things out randomly. And it, it is this, where the heck did that come from? And, and it's kind of like half of a software as a service, but then it's like also like a big toolbox, but yet the way you approach it all, I think captured all of that perfectly of everyone kind of scratching their head in the industry and going, what the heck is going on here? And to, ask a follow-up to all of that do you think aws eventually gets too complicated for the broader market or or are we already there i would say that there's no one that you could find anywhere inside or outside of amazon who has a firm grasp on all of amazon's various offerings there's a whole list of services now i think they're in the 90s as far as the num sheer number that they have and a great game is to put a word after aws or amazon and then ask people whether that's a service that really exists or if it's something you've made up to trick them. <laughs> and there are some of these that are just fantastic. I did this in a presentation I gave once with a slide and did a quick survey. They were all real, but there were significant constituencies who believed that a number of them didn't exist. Uh, today, for example, they just released a new beta version of AWS Lumberyard, which is a service that primarily exists to reaffirm Amazon's commitment to putting random nouns after the word Amazon. It's apparently something that integrates for massive multiplayer games, which is great, but doesn't apply to 99% of the world. That said, Amazon also doesn't build things that nobody uses. Customer requests drive a tremendous number of services and reasons that Amazon does things. Some people take a look and say, wow, 100 petabytes of disk on the back of a trailer. There's no way in the world anyone is going to use that. And someone else will say, huh, that solves a problem I have. I'll book up every trailer you have for the next 18 months. And it's hard to understand given how vast AWS is, but the use cases that I have and the use cases that you have are potentially nothing alike. And that's the piece that people get, people tend to miss, is that there's a use case for all of these things. It's just probably not you. Yeah. And, and really, if you, like, if you put it in context, so you know, take one of the, the large traditional IT companies. So you take somebody like, uh, you know, Dell, who just bought EMC and VMware, and they own Pivotal and a bunch of other assets and somewhere, you know, their, their breadth of technology, the things that would fall under their umbrella, aren't 
terribly far off from what Amazon owns. If you if you kind of put it all together, they do compute and storage and networking and some database stuff and this, that, and the other. But the the thing that's different is, at least in the regular IT world, like they would lump together, okay, this product is getting 12 new features on this date. And then you'd wait six or nine months and you'd go, okay, that, that domain, Amazon, it's, it is. It's literally a shotgun where you have no idea where they're coming from, when they're coming out. You're trying to figure out, should this one make sense? Should that one make sense? Um, I, let me ask this question. So you, on one hand, you're dealing with people that are, that are fighting bills or were fighting. You, know, you, were, you were kind of dealing with that dilemma of how do I make sense of this, this bill? And on the other hand, you're trying to help people make sense of the fire hose of, of features. Where, where do you think the pain point is for people more? Are they, are they more frustrated and, and feeling pain from the complexity of pricing or the complexity of you know, dealing with which features they I should I think keep the up primary with? pain is the fear that we're doing it wrong. If you log into the Amazon console for the first time, it is mind-bogglingly complex. And you don't know what you're about to do, but you're pretty sure it's wrong. And that doesn't get easier the longer you do this. I mean, that was my exposure to it. And back when I started, they only had about a dozen services. So there wasn't the same plethora of options that exist today. The and the challenge as well is, as you say, they're, scat- they're shotgunning this stuff out by virtue of having a number of small teams working on enhancements to a wide variety of services, and they're ready when they're ready. So what's something that I've noticed is right. when I first started the newsletter, and it had been around for a couple of weeks, I started getting a bunch of signups from Amazon corporate domains. And my first response was, oh, great. Do, do these people work in legal? Am I, am I about to have a problem here? And, <laughs> exactly. They're going to yell and at me. And it turns out, that, no, no, we, we work here. We just kind of want to know what's going on in the rest of the company as well. And it's fascinating. I have a series of little birds that tell me fascinating stories that I generally can't relate to the public about things happening internally at Amazon. And in many cases, while people are extremely knowledgeable about the product or project that they're working on, they are wildly misinformed about things that aren't that. Uh, in one case, I wound up reporting a bug uh, a few weeks back. They were still showing a limit of 10 tags in the EC2 console when they bumped that number to 50 late last year. So even within Amazon, the, the speed and velocity of enhancements and new features comes at a cost of overall messaging and an understanding of what the left tentacle is doing when the right is off somewhere else entirely. And, and Corey, where, help us out also. We, we've struggled with that a lot over the years here, kind of following things as we do. And something we're always interested in is the flip side of the what works. And that is, so what are some of the big mistakes um, that that folks are seeing? Like you see some of the good, but then like you were saying with your little birds, right? You also see some of the bad, right? And so what are some of the like companies and customers that you're working with? Um, what are the mistakes they're typically making? Is it around using the right services or the wrong services? Is it cost? Is it security? Is it availability and performance? You know, there's there's a lot of big buckets and we hear a lot of stories, but what are the trends you see in your day to day? Sure, I'm going to answer that with a yes to start. The, the, the missteps, <laughs> sure. yeah, the missteps you can make with Amazon are myriad. Uh, as a quick example, I have a section at the bottom of my newsletter called Tip of the Week, where I wind up highlighting a piece of trivia that I generally have seen people step on. And what's fascinating is in response to almost every one of those tips, I've gotten the responses have been 50-50 split between 
everyone knows this. Why would you bother wasting time talking about it to, oh my God, you're kidding me. And what's strange is that it varies from week to week between the things everyone knows and the things no one knows. The same people come back with very different perspectives of this. And there's all these little things and edge cases that cut you if you're not aware of it. Uh, classic example, not realizing that availability zone naming is not consistent between accounts. My US East 1A could be your US East 1C. And that's one of those things that I've had two different reactions to. One, duh, everyone knows that. Or the alternative, I just built a product that doesn't take that into account. Uh-oh. So there's a – it's not understanding the edge cases of the platform. And this stuff is all documented in the official AWS documentation, which is an enormous bear that will eat you alive given half a chance. There's, there's too much for a human being to absorb and synthesize. So part of the missteps people make come from using the wrong product or the wrong tool. Part of it comes from believing there's an architectural constraint where there may not be. And in other cases, it's it's even carrying the, a, a mental image of the way things used to be forward into a world where they no longer do. Uh, some people are convinced that most of their spend is in their developer environments. Great. Let's take a look. Okay, that's 3% of your bill. But the narrative has never changed mentally because they knew that early on when money was tight, developer environment expenses were really top of mind. Now they've scaled. They've been successful. It isn't nearly moving the needle as much, but the narrative hasn't evolved to address that. And Amazon is certainly not holding still either. You can take a look at almost anyone's Amazon account, and based upon their architecture, you have a pretty good idea of what year they started their company in. If they're still struggling to move out of EC2 Classic into VPCs, it's probably circa 2010. If they're going in, if they're in the most recent years that they're doing stuff with Docker, that's two or three years back. If they launch today, they're probably doing an awful lot of things with Lambda, some of which they should absolutely not be doing with Lambda. And and so on and so forth. It it really becomes almost a snapshot of the zeitgeist based upon when they start. Because it's easy to change an architecture when it's lines on a whiteboard. Okay, now we have a massive deployment and users who are, for some reason, paying us. Yeah, now we want to change architectures becomes a very different conversation. Take that one step further then, too, and then say, okay, as somebody who, because there's new people coming into the ecosystem all the time and you followed this for so long and, and completely agree with you that you can kind of uh, do time time snapshots, if you will, of use cases, what is your biggest advice to new folks coming in to the ecosystem right now? Um, it would have to be reach out to people who have done this before and Reach out to them with a, with your plan for how you're trying to implement something. Reach out for a review of the architecture. People love picking other things uh, apart. I mean, take a look at Hacker News. It's the it's the it's the entire world of first principles slash not invented here slash I could build your entire business in a weekend for you, and it, it's useful to get at least that critical level of feedback from people who have been there and gotten the t-shirt slash scars to prove it. The counterpoint is past a certain point. Hesitation and over-design forever is, congratulations, you can stall indefinitely. That doesn't get you further to where you need to be. Even a bad decision can be fixed later in time. So I'd say the biggest mistake people tend to make is trying to contextualize it as, oh, this is AWS. We're going to migrate our existing stuff in the data center into AWS. Okay, you can do that, but that's two projects. 
Step one, move everything that you possibly can with as few changes as possible. Step two, now refactor things to take advantage of AWS primitives. A very common mistake that you see in these migration projects is trying to do two things at once. Then something breaks or, God forbid, becomes slow, and people don't know where to look or how to figure out what the breaking change was. So, yes, it takes longer than you think it will. Yes, it's going to be more expensive than you think it will. But going in with a plan that makes sense in a migration capacity is going to be one of those things that pays dividends down the road. As far as people who are brand new uh, newcomers to anything involving AWS who have nothing existing and they're going pure greenfield, to some extent, um, I don't envy them because there are so many different points of view and perspectives on the proper way to proceed in that type of environment that the only consensus that's emerged is that everyone else is wrong. That's not particularly helpful to someone who's just starting out and trying to figure out the best way forward. Right. I, I think it's interesting. You, you know, you sort of point out we used to have this this issue where in traditional IT, you know, you could always you could always basically shoot yourself in the foot because there was always a feature that would either you know make the thing go faster or kill your application or whatever. We have that same problem in IT and in event or in, in AWS, and eventually that sort of complexity all led to. You know, the reason we have shadow IT and, and people eventually using AWS, like I can go around you because you're too slow. It'll be interesting to see if we eventually see the same sort of thing, sort of shadow AWS eventually evolve because it gets too complicated. Or like you said, there aren't enough consistent best practices. We absolutely are seeing that. We're even in large companies where, okay, we were in data centers. Now we're in AWS, but good heavens, we pay these engineers giant piles of money, but no, we can't allow them to spin up $50 worth of resources. So they put process and procedure in place. So it now once again takes six weeks to spin up a developer environment, but they also have up to $5,000 signing authority on the corporate credit card. So by the time that gets caught, hey, surprise, we have a secret AWS account that works, or in some other cases, they go into Azure or GCP or some other vendor that winds up uh, being under the radar. So it, it winds up being a corporate game of cat and mouse in the large enterprises. And I don't think that that model serves anyone particularly well. What are you, uh, you know, obviously you're, you're, you're trying to keep up with all these different things coming out. What are you in particular tracking? Like what things are, are really interesting to you or, you know, what, what do you feel like are the, the services that people are going to be, you know, driving for the next generation of applications, the next big thing for, for helping their business? The easy cop-out, and I get that this is a little far future for where we stand today, but green grass is something that I think people are taking far too lightly. For those who are unaware, it lets you run Lambda functions with a Lambda runtime on your own devices. The idea being that you now have been able to, you can now kick a lot of the compute or the pre-selection of things to send over the network down into the edge as opposed to having to wait until it winds up hitting an AWS facility. This becomes huge, especially as we talk about things like constrained networks, Internet of Things. You now can have video cameras, for example, that instead of sending a, a live stream constantly, they can do calculations locally on the video stream and only send key frames for recognition as opposed to having to send a high-fidelity stream constantly up uh, constantly up to the cloud. So 
that opens up a lot of different use cases and a lot of different opportunities that I don't think the market has entirely wrapped their head around. You can tell that these things tend to have legs because the first thing that happens when something like this comes out is people like me make fun of it. And in time, it begins to realize, huh, maybe those people at Amazon kind of know what they're talking about. Who knew? But that's the beautiful thing about being a futurist. When you're wrong, no one holds you accountable. Well, and like and like you said, it it got the same you know one paragraph uh, announcement as you know snowmobile or or any other service. So who knows if it's really supposed to be important or not? Yeah, and Corey, let me just add as well. I actually um, at AWS last year, I was invited to an executive briefing actually on that technology specifically, and it, it was really funny to kind of get the the behind the scenes as they were announcing all of that and and having them kind of also connect the dots uh, in their story at the time. And then also, as you see everything kind of evolve, and then you kind of, yeah, you start to see, ooh, you could use it for that. Oh, you could use it for that. So just wanted to kind of uh, add to that as well of, I did not connect the dots at all at first on that, um, but I certainly have over time as well. It's one of those emerging areas that begins to look very savvy the longer you look at this. And again, not everything that Amazon bets on pans out, but something that's remarkable about what they do is they don't tend to sunset things very often. You've got simple DB, which still technically exists. You've got they've got reduced redundancy, the old S3 storage class. They don't talk about it. They don't advertise it, it still exists, but now it doesn't participate in price cuts, so it's more expensive for the crappy storage than standard S3. So they keep things around indefinitely, even if it seems to be a market failure, but they just don't talk about it as much. So if nothing else, they've gotten away from the problem space of having to account for them turning off a service you've built your business on top of. That doesn't happen. And that, I think, alone gives people a tremendous level of confidence in betting their business strategy on AWS's implementations. Interesting. So, Corey, let's let's uh, we're going to kind of wrap this up a little bit, but let's let's play a little game here um, to end the show. Give us a sense. You obviously don't have an insider, um, any inside data on like you know how much revenue or anything, but give us a sense just from talking to communities or, or talking to end users and so forth. Uh, we'll give you we'll throw out a topic or, or an AWS service. You give us a sense of. It's uh, it's cold. It's hot. It's it's you know growing like crazy. Whatever whatever the right uh, adjective is. Um, let's start with Lambda. Where's, what's your opinion on Lambda? Or where, what's your market sense on Lambda? I think it's growing like crazy. People are taking it uh, entirely too seriously in some cases, but it's a fantastic offering for a certain subset of problem. The horrifying bit is that now they're putting it through its paces and certifying it for various compliance regimes, which is great, but they don't have a formalized SLA around it. So if it breaks, their response is, whoops, sorry about that. And that's great if you're Twitter for pets and kind of lousy if you're running like support equipment on it. So there needs to be an understanding of failure modes around it and where it's appropriate versus hilariously inappropriate to use something like that. But I think we're going to see more of it, not less. And it'll get better. It always does. How do you feel about uh, big data, Dynamo, Redshift, Kinesis kind of things? (laughs) I am in the minority on this one. I think it's a bit of a passing fad in that it solves a couple very interesting problems 
And then it winds up attracting a giant pile of venture money. And now everyone is figuring that with that hammer, everything looks like a big data nail. And I think that's going to not pan out the way people are hoping it will. Uh, what about the uh, the fads around containers? So like the ECS service and, and uh, the various types of container-related services they're beginning to offer? I gave a talk last year at ContainerCon called Heresy in the Church of Docker, uh, specifically giving a bunch of Cassandra-like warnings that, much like Cassandra, no one pays attention to, about the dangers of running containers naively in production. A lot of those have been worked out, but it still is attracting a level of hype that's discomfitting. Not everything needs to be immutable. Not everything needs to live in containers. And while it's an interesting tool, the approach isn't all that new. And it's not going to fundamentally solve your architecture problems, but it will let you kick the can down the road a few years until ideally it's someone else's problem to worry about. Uh, last one. How about uh, the concept of raw data movement, either through uh, Snowball or Snowmobile? I think that that is one of those areas that if you don't have those problems, you laugh at it because it sounds like a punchline. And if you do have those problems, you can't imagine not having that those tools available. So that's going to come down entirely to who you are and what your challenges look like. Yep. No, I think that makes sense. But it's not going away. Yeah, I agree. I, uh, I've heard some, some interesting stories about people that uh, – We'll, we'll buy some of the snowball, uh, snowmobiles or snowmalls or whatever the variation is and just literally park them in their, in their parking lot because they've got so much data and they're just rotating them in and out. So, yeah, you, like you said, if you have that problem, you, you know you have that problem. Well, very cool, man. Listen, um, you know, we've talked about the newsletter. What's, what's the best way for folks to kind of get on the, get on the train of you, know, you, you searching through AWS trying to make it simpler for them? Uh, easiest way is to go to lastweekinaws.com. And subscribe. I promise it may be entertaining. It may not, but it'll at least be timely. Nice. And what about what about people want to reach out to you on on the Twitters or on internet or just want to you know uh, pick your brain on stuff? By all means, my DMs are open on Twitter. I am Quinny Pig. That's Q U I double N Y Pig. Well, listen, Aaron. Uh, I know you know. I think we got a little bit smarter. I think we we uncovered a few things about AWS that we hadn't been thinking about. So, um, why don't you wrap us up for the week and uh, take us home? Yeah, absolutely. So, Corey, thank you very much for your time this week. And uh, for Brian, who's uh, hopefully will be back next week, and and myself, uh, thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to everyone next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 